And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. Welcome to the Gospel According to with Ryan and Mike, a conversation designed to explore what makes the gospel good news in various books and topics of the Bible. Having considered how to read Revelation, Ryan and Mike now begin reading through the book. In this conversation, they will read and consider Revelation 1, asking who Jesus is, according to this inspiring vision of John. All right, Ryan, so we are coming to a really important turn in the podcast. We spent the first nine episodes laying the groundwork of the book and trying to establish a firm foundation to then come along and read Revelation well and understand it and and understand its impact. And so today we're going to get into the text directly. Um, Before we do that, let's spend just a few minutes reviewing everything we've talked about in those first nine episodes, of course, in a distilled format, and make sure we've got all those things with us, armed, ready to read the text. So um, just overviewing what we've seen so far, the message of Revelation are all about the scriptures being fulfilled and the promises of God concerning his kingdom coming to fruition. The, the, the Revelation reveals the saints will receive the kingdom that was purposed by God from before the foundation of the cosmos, um, but tells us that the powers of evil will wage war. There will be this great tribulation for the saints as books of Daniel and others anticipated. But the slain, risen, and reigning lamb will defeat every enemy and render judgment for his followers, and they will live and reign for the ages to come. So in short, the message of Revelation is overcome, your God reigns. We think There you go. Yeah. That's, the, yeah. that's the central message, Abs- right? Absolutely. You know, t- taking us back to the gospel message. The central message of Revelation is your God reigns. That's right. In Revelation, we see the climax of that, the culmination, really, of everything the Old Testament prophets had foretold would come in the latter days, we now see coming to pass in Revelation. Absolutely. So the way it it reveals that message is is layered. Um, There's an overall narrative that's unfolding, and we've talked about that narrative. There's a prologue with three movements. The prologue is the ascension of the Lamb. He's just gained the victory at the cross, um, and he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And then we see this war break out against the saints. And yet, as Daniel prophesied, the Ancient of Days will render judgment in favor of the saints, and the saints will inherit the kingdom. And so that ascension is the prologue, war, judgment, kingdom. That's how this divine drama of God's kingdom unfolds. The book itself, then, in terms of the literary structure, it tells that story, it tells that narrative, it tells that divine drama, reveals that and replays that multiple times in multiple vision sequences, often in visions of seven. And and as we said, this is not a linear chronological story from one seven to the next, but it's a thematic retelling the same story with each sequence, zooming in on different aspects of that story and helping us appreciate it. Um, the, the nature of the book, we talked about the genre or what kind of writing it is. And we talked about three different things, parable, apocalyptic, and letter. Parable helps uh, prime us for reading in a way where we are going to understand figurative language, just as the parables of Jesus told a story and there was a figure that was referencing to another kind of truth or idea. So Revelation is doing something similar. But then we get into be a little bit more precise and we understand that this is apocalyptic literature. Um, And and we talked about those distinguishing features of apocalyptic literature, that it's 
reporting these visions. It's figurative. It's symbolic images and scenes. It's often intense graphic language. It's often epic events on a cosmic scale, and it's all drawn from earlier scriptures. In other words, those symbols, those images, those scenes are all building on uh, other stories and scenes we see in the rest of the scriptures. But, but understanding the nature of apocalyptic helps us then to turn and say, why write in this style? And, it's, and, and the apocalyptic writing is there to provide this heavenly view of reality, to, to, to show us things from God's perspective and to help us see things in that. And, and, and then with that renewed perspective on the events around us, it's inspiring endurance and allegiance in the midst of the tribulation, which then leads us to the third dimension of this book, which is it's a letter. Um, and, and when we think about Revelation as a letter, we think especially about the pastoral concern. The saints are in the midst of a war against the powers of evil, right? Just as Daniel prophesied that, that the powers of evil will wage war against the saints, that's where the, the book picks up in the midst of that war. Um, and so Revelation is, is concerned with how the saints navigate that war. And so then when we step back and, and just comment on the purpose of the book, um, it's to reveal what must take place concerning God's purpose and kingdom in the last days, and ultimately at a heart-gut level to inspire endurance in their allegiance to the Lamb in the midst of this war. So that's, you know, in just a few minutes reviewing what we've, what we've looked at in our first nine episodes. Um, but Ryan, yeah, and I really oh, appreciate yeah. you doing that, Mike, because it's so important, as we've said before, to not just jump in and read Revelation 1-1, but really to ask the question first, how do you read Revelation? Yeah. And what you've just done for us there is really just give a very good summary of everything we've talked about so far, just seeing both the big picture ideas of Revelation, but also some of the interpretive tools for reading Revelation, so that now in this segment of the podcast, we're going to start getting into the individual chapters. Hopefully, we'll be able to use these tools and come back to them to read Revelation wisely. Absolutely. So now we're ready to get into the text. Ryan, can you you give us a forecast of what we're going to look at today? Yeah, so today I want to look at chapter 1, and we're going to look at the vision of Jesus in chapter 1. Going back to the fourfold structure that we've already built in an earlier episode, and you just said this, Revelation has a prologue with three movements, the ascension, followed by war, judgment, and kingdom. Really, we're going to focus on this prologue here and understand the revelation of Jesus. The text we're going to focus on begins in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, and goes then through the rest of the chapter. We've looked at segments of the first eight verses in earlier podcasts, so we're not going to take the time to work through those. But the question I'd really like to focus on, Mike, and just quick synopsis is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And that's the question that really Revelation 1 is going to answer for us, who is Jesus? I've said in other teachings that every book of the Bible gives us a different view of who Jesus is. As you go into Matthew, Jesus is the king who's about to come. As you go into a book like 1 Corinthians, Jesus is the wisdom of God. Then you get to Revelation, who is Jesus? So, Mike, let's go ahead and read the first segment of this. Read for me Revelation chapter 1. Let's begin in verse 9 and go down through verse 11. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. 
I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches or assemblies, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So you'll notice as the narrative begins, this is really the beginning of the narrative of the drama of Revelation. Tell me, Mike, where is John, and then what happens to him while he's in isolation? Um, He's in the midst of really the setting that we're talking about, tribulation, kingdom, perseverance, right? He, he fixes himself in history in light of some of the Daniel things we've already looked at. And, and in that specific exile, right, he, he sees himself as, as experiencing this, this vision. He heard something um, that's going to captivate him and, and hit him at a gut level. Yeah, and you know, this is kind of like a horror movie where you think you're alone in the house, and then you hear something in the other room. I I hope that's not lost on us when we read (laughs) this, right? John is in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, Mm -hmm. you know, a hundred ideas about what that means, you know, but but in some way he is connecting to God Mm -hmm. on the Lord's Day. And then, out of nowhere, (laughs) he hears this loud voice come as a trumpet, and it says, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. This voice, who notice, it's interesting, the identity of this voice is not yet revealed for us, but John just hears this voice like a trumpet, and this voice tells him, you're about to receive a vision, write it down. Mm -hmm. Well, let's learn who this voice is. Verse 12 down through verse 15. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like white wool, excuse me, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet like burnished bronze when it's been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of many waters." In his right hand. So as you notice here, go ahead and do verse 16 this time. Do do verse 16 as well. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Now, is there a name given to us in this section about who is speaking? There's not a name, just just descriptions, right? Yeah, this is kind of like a parable, isn't it? Yeah. Where there's all of these descriptors in this figurative language and this apocalyptic imagery Mm -hmm. that we are then going to have to ruminate on in light of the earlier witness in the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. and then we're going to be able to know who this is. Yeah. Now, go ahead. No, it's okay. Yeah, you you go for it. Well, verse 12, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and I saw seven golden lampstands. Mm-hmm. You know, the voice of God is one of my favorite themes in the scriptures to talk about because our God is the only God who's ever spoken. Mm. You notice here the irony, John turns to see the voice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he turns to see the voice. Mm-hmm. You typically think of turning to hear the voice mm-hmm. or to listen better to the voice, but he turns to hear the and see yeah. <laughs> the voice, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then whenever he turns, he sees seven golden lampstands. Mm-hmm. What? 
Seven golden lampstands? I thought he had just heard the voice like a trumpet. Like you would expect him to see a trumpet or something. Mm -hmm. But he turns to see the voice, and then he sees seven golden lampstands. And then in the middle of these lampstands, there is one like a son of man. Mm -hmm. Now, we've already talked about the candlesticks. This is Lumiere, right? Yeah. In an earlier (laughs) episode. You know, this is taken from the tabernacle uh-huh. where God's presence is going to be with his people and give light through these lampstands. Here, as John looks up to heaven, he sees these heavenly lampstands, seven of them. And in the middle, this is the one who's speaking. There is one like a son of man. Mm-hmm. Now, this is an extremely important title as you work through the New Testament. Where in the Old Testament does this come from most prominently, Mike? Most significantly, I would say Daniel 7. I mean, you see it in, in Ezekiel. God, That's God's kind of pet name for Ezekiel, which just means, hey, human, come here while I you know, lead you away, right? <laughs> but but yeah. it, it has, I think, most prophetic significance from that Daniel 7 vision that we've already cent- centered on already, right? Yeah. Where, where yep. one like a son of man comes up to receive the kingdom, and it's ultimately a vision of the saints receiving the kingdom. Okay, this is it. This is it, right? Yeah. Daniel chapter 7, here's what's so fascinating about that you see four beasts mm-hmm. come out of the waters. Yeah. These beasts are trying to act like people. Right. One beast tries to talk. One beast tries to exercise dominion. Mm-hmm. You have beasts trying to act like people. Right. Kind of like George Orwell. Yeah. But then there's this great majestic scene, mm-hmm. and there is one like a son of man who descends on the clouds. Mm-hmm. What Daniel 7 is setting Ascends. up Ascends on the cloud. Sorry, ascends. Sorry, yeah. that, that point is ascension. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. At, at that point, Daniel is setting up for us this conflict between the powers of the beast mm-hmm. versus the powers of the Son of Man. Mm-hmm. Now, what earlier echoes of the Old Testament should that remind us of? Of a contest between beasts, or a beast in this case, versus humans. Yeah, I mean, all the way back to Genesis 1 through 3. Exactly, right? Genesis 3, you have the serpent, which is introduced as the craftiest beast of the field, Mm -hmm. then comes and deceives Adam and Eve. They fall into sin. You get over to Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. Sin is described as a beast as it crouches. This this is then going to be the narrative of Scripture. Mm -hmm. You have this contest, which set up really in Genesis 3.15 of the serpent versus the seed of woman. But you have the beast versus people. Mm -hmm. Who's going to win? Who, who, who's going to win? Who, who's going to become king, I guess we could even say? Yeah. The beast or the man? You know, the, the story of the Bible at different points, you would, you would think the beast, right? Because of right. failure over and over and over. But the hope of Daniel 7 that's so powerful that Revelation's keying in on is, is no humanity will reign in the end. Oh, absolutely. And this is the whole promise of God, mm-hmm. is the bestial powers of sin are not going to win, but rather God's image bearers, mm-hmm. his people, are going to win. Right. So then John looks up and he sees one like a son of man. He looks like a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He looks like a person. But then he's clothed in a long robe with a white golden sash around his chest. I think there's some priestly language mm-hmm. in that. His hairs were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Mike, what's the significance of that? Probably lots. One of the biggest things that I see here is it's, it's if you think back to the Daniel 7 image again and the description of the Ancient of Days who first takes his seat on the throne, 
right? And, and how he's described in this sort of whiteness with the white hair and the throne and the eyes like fire and the river fire and all that sort of stuff. You sort of have a mashup a little bit of the son of man, who this human-like, who, who has this resemblance of God now, right? Or has a resemblance exactly. of Exactly, exactly, right? And this, I think, is the major point that John is wanting to communicate to us. We, we could spend so much time talking through every last symbol and image here, but mm-hmm. I want to make sure we understand what's really going on with this image. John looks up and he sees one like a son of man, mm-hmm. one who resembles people, but he also sees this individual who resembles the Ancient of Days, yeah. the God on the throne. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is this individual is both the epitome of man mm. and the epitome of God. Yeah. This is the God man. Yeah, absolutely. This is the one who is like man and the one who is God. Mm-hmm. Who then is this? What's his name? Yeah. Jesus, Messiah. Jesus. Yeah. So let's read this next part. Verse 17 through the rest of the chapter. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Therefore, write the things which you've seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So John, upon turning to see the voice, then falls at the feet of Jesus as though dead. But then Jesus lays his right hand on him and says, fear not. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a great personal connection here. Absolutely. What relationship had John and Jesus had while Jesus was still on this earth before his crucifixion? I mean, it was so tender, right? You know, if, if um, you know, he, John was at least one of the three, you know, when you think about that inner circle of Jesus 12, um, you know, if, if John is the author of the gospel, which, you know, he may or may not be <laughs> following, we'll up yes. on a, following up on a previous conversation. Um, yeah. But anyway, if John's the author of the gospel, he's the one who's reclining on Jesus' bosom. He's in that, that um, intimate place. He's the one who would have taken um, Jesus' mother to care for her himself. Um, and yet now he's experiencing Jesus in a very different way. Right. And and I think that what's so amazing about this is the same John who was intimate with Jesus is now being comforted by him. Mm -hmm. This is the same Jesus. Absolutely. Except now he says, I am the first and the last, the living one. He is God. Mm -hmm. He is the first and the last. He's God. But now he's also man. Yeah. I died. And now behold, I am alive forevermore. Mm -hmm. I have the keys of death in Hades. Mm -hmm. Whenever we think through Revelation 1 and ask, who is Jesus? Jesus is the true human who has overcome death and is about to reveal God's purposes. Absolutely. This, I think, is the real image that you see of Jesus in Revelation 1. He is the true human, God incarnate, who has defeated death and is alive forevermore. And that's then why he tells John in verse 19... Write, therefore, the things that you've seen, those that are and those that are about to take place after this. He is about to give further revelation to the churches, but let's not forget that amidst this imagery, amidst the lampstands and the angels, the focus is the one who's like the Son of Man. Amen. The focus is on Jesus. The focus is on him who has died and now is alive forevermore. 
Thanks for listening to the Gospel According to Podcast. If you have any questions about what you heard today, please send us a voice message. We would really love to hear from you. Next time, Revelation 2 and 3. They're often seen as the cheap seats of Revelation, yet on a closer reading shows the apocalyptic vision of these chapters. In speaking directly to these churches, Jesus gives us insight not only into what these churches were going through, but also who we ourselves are. Get ready to get wet. You're getting ready to enter the splash zone. Don't miss an episode by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media. Until next time, and for all time, your God reigns.